Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of John, chapter 11. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. So John is writing to help us all to understand that Jesus is God. John's gospel is written to show us that. If the Bible, listen, weren't true and in the inspired of the Holy Spirit, if John were falsely making up the facts that Jesus is God, he would never show us or tell us Jesus wept because that makes him human. But the very fact is God's word is inspired God's word is infallible. God's word is true. And the very fact that in a book that is trying to present total deity and divinity doesn't hesitate to give us a complete detailed delineation of his humanity. And it tells us and it proves to us that the Bible is inspired and accurate and written by God. You know, I think of David. I think of if any story in the Bible that would prove to anybody that this has to be written by God would be the story of David and Bathsheba. Anyone writing an autobiography about themselves would not tell you about their sin. One person said amen. I can't believe that. I can't believe it. Two, I can't believe it. There you go. Nobody's going to tell you, They're writing about themselves, that they were a sinner, that they took a man's wife, that they had the man killed, that they married the woman, and and they sinned before God. Nobody's going to tell you that. If you're writing stuff about yourself, you write all the good stuff. How lovely you are. How philanthropic you are. How charitable you are. Just an all-around great guy. But nobody tells about the sin. We know that the Bible is inspired because God's word tells us the truth. Somebody clap your hands and say amen. The truth. And just because David went out and did the things that he did doesn't mean we should go out and do the same thing. We should learn from that. Amen. Some of y'all thinking David got away with it. Maybe I can too. Don't do it. So we know that the word of God is inspired. Look at verse 37. And some of them, the Jews, said, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blinds also have kept this man from dying? In other words, if Jesus could open blind eyes, write this in your margins, John chapter 9, open blind eyes, then why would he let someone he loved die? Now, some commentators say regarding verse 7 that they were being sarcastic. I don't see that because if you go one verse before that in verse 36, it tells us that they really believe that Jesus loved Lazarus. They were standing there when Jesus burst into tears. I think this is an honest, confused, perplexed question. 
They couldn't justify the delay of Jesus with the power of Jesus. They're thinking if Jesus loved them so much, then why didn't he go there on time? Look at verse 38. It tells us, then Jesus again groaning in himself. Some of your Bible says deeply moved in the inner man came to the tomb. Now, remember I told you last week that word groaning is never a word of compassion. It always speaks of trouble, rebuke, warning, shaken, agitated, So right now, Jesus is disturbed, agitated, shaken, troubled. Why? Well, keep in mind, although Jesus was completely human, he was also completely holy. And right now, he's in a holy state of indignation against sin and death. He looks around and he sees the sorrow and the curse of sin, and that brings anguish. And then watch this, mix that anguish over sin with sorrow and sympathy and love and mix that with his own sorrow and anticipation of his own death. And you can see why he's all torn up on the inside. Did you get me? So they're standing at the tomb, weeping. Let me tell you a little bit about the tomb. If a family was wealthy, um, you remember Lazarus? Oh, not Lazarus, um, Joseph of Arimathea. Remember Joseph of Arimathea? He bought a new tomb and let Jesus use it. He only needed it for the weekend, but he just used it. He borrowed it. Remember? Joseph's borrowed tomb. Am I right about it? Okay. And so, and and Joseph was wealthy. And so he had a tomb, an extra tomb, I guess. Um, In those days, in Jesus' day, If you were wealthy, if you were a wealthy family, you would have a family tomb. And this tomb is hewn out of rock. It's probably six by nine by 10. So it's pretty large. And they would often carve shelves, eight actually, eight shelves in the tomb. Um, Get the mind's eye. You come in, three shelves on the right, three on the left, and one, uh, two right in front of you. So they would have eight shelves. And um, there was a group called uh, the Holy Society or the Chevra Khadija. Chevra Khadija. The ho- Google it. The Holy Society. And they were responsible to take the body and to wash it. They were responsible for the dead body and they would wash the body. I think of Acts chapter 9, verse 37. that tells us when Dorcas died, when they washed her, they laid her in the upper room. The Mishnah, stay with me. I'm going somewhere. The Mishnah and the Talmud speaks of the washing of the body. And the Jews would take the body and wash the body from head to foot. And because of a verse in Ecclesiastes that talks about when you were born, you come into the world in water, they believe you should leave the world in water, thus washing. Now, in Jesus' day, the wealthy would be buried, and they would bury their loved ones in gold and silver and opulent dress, and the poor would bury their loved ones in hardly anything or whatever they had. So there was this rabbi, this famous rabbi by the name of Gamaliel, and Gamaliel felt that that was improper because we come into the world with nothing. He thought we should leave with nothing. So Gamaliel made an edict that the takrakim, the takrakim, or the shroud, should be used and people should be buried 
all the same way, whether rich or poor. If you're with me so far, say amen. So they would then now, because of Gamaliel, they would take this long piece of linen, about four feet wide, uh, twice as long as your body, and they would put spices in it and around you to kind of knock down the smell and wrap your body and wrap your limbs. They would individually wrap your feet, individually wrap your hands, individually wrap your arms and your legs, and they would put a napkin around your head to hold up your chin, and then they would take the tak rakim, the shroud, and put it around your head and then place the body into the tomb. Um, the Jews didn't wrap like uh, a mummy. Uh, mummy wrappings were for what culture of people? Egyptians, very good. Uh, they didn't embalm because embalming was also Egyptian. They would roll the stone, put the body in, roll the stone in front of the tomb to be sealed to keep people from entering and keep grave robbers away from the tomb. Now, two years later, they would come back and the body would often have disintegrated by then. And they would take the bones and take the ashes and put them in a box or a clay pot called an ossuary. And then they would, um, that would open up a ledge in the tomb for another family member. Notice in verse 38 in your Bibles, they came to the cave and a stone was in front of it. Look at verse 39. Jesus told them to take the stone away. Now remember I told you that Jesus is omnipotent, right? And Jesus could have blasted that stone away, couldn't he? Jesus could have sent that stone flying like a Frisbee, couldn't he? Somebody say amen. I'm preaching, I know it. He could have sent that, that big old stone flying like a Frisbee. But what did he do? Jesus told them to take the stone away. You see, Jesus was not in the business of clowning around with his power. Did you get that? And he wants you to participate in his work. So he told them to take the stone away. In other words, Jesus wants them to participate. Jesus says, I'll do my part. I'll, I'll produce a revival. I'll revive the dead. But you do your part and you remove the stone. Look at verse 40. You got to love Martha and you got to love the King Jimmy. Jesus says, move the stone. And Martha says, Lord, by now he stinketh. I love that. In the Greek language, are you taking notes? Stinketh means in the process of stinking. Write that down. In the process of stinking. Martha said, Jesus, what's the point by now? He's already in the process of de deterioration or decay. By this time, he stinketh. Martha is doing what we all do, isn't she? She's saying, Jesus, here's the problem. It's too late. He's, he's too far gone. It's been four days. Now, the Jews, were you with me last week? I told you this, didn't I? The Jews believed that for four days, the spirit floated above the body, hoping to re-enter. But on the fourth day, the face was no longer recognizable, and so the spirit would depart. And Martha is thinking, we're past the point of the spirit recognizing her brother, and that's why she's saying it's too late. What was the use in removing the stone? You see, Martha has tunnel vision. She only sees the corpse, not the Christ. Now read your Bible. 
Jesus has healed many, many people. Somebody say amen. And as far as we know, Jesus has only raised how many people? Three. Think about it. The only daughter of Jairus, the only son of the woman, the widow of Nain, and the only brother of Mary and Martha. Remember, Jairus' daughter had probably been dead an hour, so it might have felt like a near-death experience. But in the case of Lazarus, it wasn't a near-death experience. It was a death experience. Lazarus was flatlined for four days. And think about it. For four days, Lazarus was in Abraham's bosom. For four days, Lazarus saw the glory of God. For four days, are you listening? Lazarus really knew what eyes were for. Because he could really see color like it really is around the throne. He finally saw what, what, what glory really was. For four days, he knew what ears were for as he heard the angels singing around the throne. For four days, Lazarus experienced what you and I can't even hardly imagine. And then get this, all of a sudden, some angel taps him on the shoulder and says, uh, excuse me, Lazarus, there's been a recall. You got to go back. And then you're going to have to die again. I look at verse 40. Jesus says, remove the stone. Because finally in verse 40, Jesus makes the connection between what he's doing and what he said in verse 4. This sickness is not unto death, but is for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified through it. Jesus said, didn't I tell you if you believe you would see the glory of God? Verse 41 tells us Jesus lifted up his eyes. Y'all looking at verse 41. Jesus lifted up his eyes and get the scene. Tears are streaming down his face like rivers. And Jesus leans his head back, looked up to heaven and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me and I know you always hear me, but that the people might know you sent me. Verse 43, when he finished saying these things, Jesus screamed out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. I need a DVD of this. Can you imagine? Jesus just screams, Lazarus, come forth. Now, I ask myself, perhaps you did too. Why is he screaming? Why scream? He didn't scream with Jerry's daughter. Don't you remember? He said, quietly and tenderly, Talitha Kumai, Danzel, arise. He didn't scream with the widow's son at name. He just touched the open coffin and said, young man, get up. But here he's yelling because, or is he yelling? Question, is he yelling because it's harder to hear when you're dead for four days versus 24 hours? I believe, listen, that Jesus screamed or cried out loud. Why? To demonstrate his authority. He cried out loud to demonstrate that he is the resurrection and the life. And maybe he cried out loud because when the angel said there's been a recall, Lazarus said, nope, I'm not going back. (laughs) I don't know. I was thinking of this. How many of you remember, I date myself today, how many of you remember when you got a ticket, you got pulled over, you got a ticket, and, and you had to go to court, they used to call it a summons to court. How many remember that? A summons going. All right, raise your hand nice and high because I can't see. All right, there's a lot of y'all that do not. Well, most of, I guess that means most of the older people were at second service because some of y'all don't know. But, but they used to call it 
a summon. You remember that? They used to call it a summons to court. And here we have, I call this an omnipotent summons because this is the almighty, all-powerful God summoning Lazarus from the grave. And because he's almighty and all-powerful, he had to say, Lazarus, come forth. It's almost like he said, Lazarus, just you and only you come forth. Because if he would have just stood at that grave and said, come forth, every dead body in that grave would have came walking out. It would have felt like night of living dead. (laughs) Don't y'all think? That's what I think. So he said, Lazarus. I got to make that face. Lazarus. (laughs) Just you come forth. And Lazarus came out. Lazarus come forth. Jesus is saying, Lazarus, come forth and live. Lazarus, come forth and reclaim your life, the abundant life that I've given you. Lazarus, come forth and join us among the living. Lazarus, come forth. And when Jesus raised Lazarus after being dead for four days, he's showing, watch this, Mary and Martha and the people and us, when you think it's too late, it's never too late. When I'm waiting while you clap your hands there. When you are ready to give up, Jesus is on time. Come on, clap your hands and say amen. Will you do that? Whatever is your tomb. Listen, I'm about to come in for a landing. Whatever is your tomb, it's never too late. Maybe your tomb is a bad relationship. Maybe your tomb is an addiction. And it's not necessarily drugs. Some folk addicted to food. Amen. Let's keep it 100. Some folks addicted to other folk. Amen. Addicted to other people. Maybe that's an addiction, whatever. Maybe it was shopping addiction. I don't know what it is. Or maybe your tomb is something that somebody said or did to you some many years ago. Maybe that's your tomb. Whatever it is, listen, Jesus is saying, come forth. In the Greek language, listen, Come forth means come away from that. Lazarus, come away from that. That what? Death. You, come away from that. That what? Relationship. That what? Drugs. That what? Alcohol. That what? Shopping. I don't know. But come away from it. And understand, when Jesus was standing at that tomb, that Jesus fought death at this grave. Do you understand there was a battle going on there in the spiritual realm? Jesus fought death at this grave. Jesus defeated death at this grave. Jesus served a notice to death at this grave. And the next time, in just a few weeks, we're all going to see it again because Jesus is going to get total victory when he rises from the grave on Easter Sunday morning. So what I'm submitting to you is that John chapter 11 is just a preview of coming attractions. Because we're going to see it again. Because it's going to call your voice again. I think of John chapter 5, verse 28 and 29. Tells us there's coming a day in which we all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trump of God. And the dead in Christ will rise second. First. We as believers have this promise someday, listen, everyone who believes in Jesus will hear the same voice. Lazarus, 
come forth and he walked out. And remember I told you that each individual limb was wrapped? So that tells us that he didn't hop out, that he walked out. He came forward. He was still bound hand and foot and face and wrapped with the cloth. And Jesus said to them, loose him and let him go. Here you are again, audience participation. Jesus needed them to participate. Men can roll the stone away. Man can unwrap the graves, but only God can raise the dead. Am I right about that? Only God can raise the dead. And that's how God always works. He does what he does, and we do what we do. Huh? That's the ministry. That's the ministry. He does what he does. When a person gets saved, you who are alive, you were dead in your trespasses and sins, but God has now made you alive in Christ. So then you come to church, and because you have then been made alive in Christ, we as believers are to take those that have been made alive in Christ and begin to unwrap them and to let them go and to loose them from the from the from the 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 the, the bands and the bonds and the fetters and the chains of religion that is rotting and decaying and deteriorating them. We as believers are to be letting them go. We as believers are to be loosing them. This is the ministry right here, right in front of us. When Jesus said, unwrap him, unbind him and let him go. In other words, take those wrappings of death off. Take off all those reminders of the flesh. All the human responses to death. Unwrap him so he can speak. Unwrap him so he can walk. Unwrap him so he can live. Jesus isn't just a good prophet. He isn't a good um, uh, 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 psychological speaker or a philosophical speaker. He's not just a good religious leader. He's the giver of life. His words. Amen. His words have power. This book has power. For the word of God is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who, who believes. For the word is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. So God's word is power. He has the power to give life. When Jesus speaks and you hear his voice, life breaks out in your heart. And if you don't hear his voice, you don't have life. You have religion. And as I told you, religion stinketh. Say amen. Religion decays. Religion decomposes. Religion rots. And his powerful command awakens a dead spirit. Jesus is not interested in winning an argument. He's not interested in trying to convince an atheistic world of the facts of God. The world can't understand the things of God because their spirit is dead. No more than you could go to a dead body and begin a conversation with it. You can't talk to someone whose spirit is dead. For the natural man does not understand the things of the spirit. Why? Because his spirit is dead. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. His spirit is dead. It takes God to wake up your spirit. Where am I saying that? It takes God to do that work. You can't wake yourself up. I'm trying to help you. You can't be good enough, smart enough, cute enough, 
godly enough. God has to do the work. God has to resurrect you. And God has to call you. And you have to hear. And when he calls and you hear, then you come out of that grave. Just like Lazarus. And when God speaks, listen, faith awakens and true life begins. And when you give your life to Christ, the old clothes are removed, the new clothes are put on. The old man is left behind, the new creation goes forward in God. You come out of the tomb of your existence and you say no to the stench of religion and yes to the aroma of relationship with Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God himself. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch in Calvary Chapel, Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. You may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccarry.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light.